Hey, everybody. I'm Jake Bennett. I'm Luke Downing. And welcome to North Meets South Web Podcast. Hey, everybody. Episode 126. Uh, this has become a little bit of a uh, habit of mine where I reach out to package authors for people that I use their stuff and I'm like, hey, we should have you on the show. Let's chat. And so today, uh, Michael, it's, it's Father's Day over there in Aussie land. And so he messaged me probably like 10 minutes ago and was like, hey, uh, I'm going to have to push back a day. I'm like, no, no worries, because I'm going to be recording with Luke. So Luke Downing is joining me on the show today. Luke, thanks so much for taking some time to hang out with me. No, thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, it's good to be on. I'm uh, an avid awesome. listener of the show, so it's cool to, uh, oh, awesome. to join you. Yeah. yeah, you never know. You never know people like, do they listen? Do they not? Uh, you know, so I'm glad to hear you're one of the, one of the faithful few who do <laughs> happen to tune in. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, thanks for all the hard work. Yeah, absolutely, man. My pleasure. Happy to do it. Um, Luke, I think I first met you after you gave a talk last year. So not like officially like, you know, in person meet because uh, you are over in the UK, uh, but uh, was able to reach out to you on Telegram and you had a really, really compelling and good talk last year uh, about using actions in Laravel. And I was blown away. I thought it was really well presented. The idea wasn't necessarily like um, a brand new novel idea. Like some people had kind of thrown that stuff around, but it was the best talk I had seen sort of assembling all the pieces and showing how you would actually use it in a real world application. So I really appreciated that talk, uh, have implemented some of those ideas. And then just recently saw this other package that you'd created. And I was like, Oh, Luke Downing, that, that guy, I know that guy. <laughs> and so I was like, I told one of my other developers, I was like, um, he said, well, this package, you know, there's, you know, there was two packages we were looking at. We were looking at using Saloon or we were looking at using this soap package that we had seen. I was like, oh, th this is Luke's package. We should definitely use this one. This one's really good. Uh, not that, you know, not that Saloon isn't maintained by some great people too. But, uh, but anyway, it, it was, it was funny. So anyway, we've talked a little bit kind of back and forth about this package. And so I wanted to have you on the show to talk about it today. Uh, but you also were actually going to be speaking at Laracon this year. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I get, get into the package in a moment, I guess, that being the case. But um, speaking of like on this year, not about actions. I'm going to speak speaking <laughs> about another package that we've developed recently for uh, helping test validation. Um, oh, very so, cool. Yeah, so that'd be Ooh. quite cool, like um, ease, easing testing form requests. So looking forward to that one. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. I feel like there's a sort of, there's, a couple of different schools of thought on that. I'm interested to see what approach you guys take. Jason McCreary kind of has a post out there that I've adopted as sort of the way that we test validation if we care to. It ends up being really, the, the tests end up being really tightly coupled to the form request itself, but that's kind of unavoidable. I feel like if you're actually testing validation, you're kind of going to have that. Mm. So I don't want to spoil anything for your talk. So I'll, I'll just wait to hear. And then if I if I feel like we have different ideas, maybe I'll have you back on again and we can argue about it or something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure that <laughs> I, I remember Jason did a talk on it a couple of years back at Laracon okay. anyway. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the slight difference of opinion. That's the great thing, right? We have different, we can have differences of opinions in, in the community and uh, we all get along at the same time. <laughs> absolutely. There's lots of different ways to accomplish the same ends, right? So Maybe for people who haven't, you know, been able to read your profile before, or maybe don't follow you on Twitter, maybe you could just uh, give us a quick sort of intro to to who you are, where you work, what you do, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I am technically I own my own company, which is Downing Tech. So uh, that's why you'll find me at Downing Tech. But I freelance primarily for a single company, which is Worksome, and they are a um, 
they help manage the freelancer market. So bus- oh, cool. businesses will use the Worksome platform to hire all of their freelance workforce and it will manage all of the tax and all the rest of it and make sure the freelancers get paid and that it eases the, the hiring process as well. So that's a really cool product to work on. And I've been working with Worksome coming up to a year now, which is really cool. Um, and there's some really outstanding developers on that team as well. So it's great to work there. Um, specifically, I work on Platform Core, which is like the low-level stuff to do with deep integration, Laravel framework, helping migrate from one PHP version to the next, building packages that help the developer experience. So I'm very rarely on the front end of the application. I tend to be deep in the back end somewhere, tooling some new specialized thing that we need inside Worksome. So that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I that's why I like to spend my time as well. I love digging around and playing around in the back end. That's that's kind of fun back there. Uh, you don't have to worry about all the you know moving pixels around and stuff. It's nice to get a break every once in a while to push some pixels around. But I, I prefer to stay in the back end as well. So, very cool. Um, does Worksome use Worksome to pay you? They dog food their they own They do. Yeah, yeah. So this is really cool. Nice. And the best thing is if there's a bug, which I I you know I try to avoid anyway, obviously. But uh, I'm always keen to make sure any bugs get fixed because uh, it could mean I don't get paid. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. It's good when you have to use your own product, you know, because I swear we had we switched to this different telephony company a couple of years, like, I don't know, two years ago now. And um, whenever we'd have like phone calls, they would use like Zoom. And I'm like, guys, like you're like you're not even using your own product. Like, What's going on here? You know, (laughs) come on. So it's good to hear that like people who are working on a product that's like in their space, at least they're using the product themselves. So that's good. That's good. So I kind of think that this, when I when I had contacted you about this package that you had written, which the only reason I knew about it is because it was covered in Laravel News and it's this SOAP package. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about what SOAP is specifically, but I'm guessing you wrote it at maybe either a previous freelance client or your previous full-time job. Because when I talked to you about it, I said like, hey, is this like still being maintained? Is this still good? And you're like, oh yeah, it still powers like the UK travel insurance market. So it's all good. Like there's a guy who still is there who's working on it. So tell me a little bit about that. Like how'd that, how'd that come about? Was this at your previous job that you made this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I still have interactions with them um, and they're still good friends. But yeah, I used to work here. That was my main job. And at the time, we transitioned to to Laravel and started building for larger clients. And we'd done one particular build where we had to work with SOAP APIs. And it was just horrible because everything in Laravel is, <laughs> is so, so well pulled back, right? It's so well abstracted. And sure. Laravel has its own HTTP client, for example, where you have this gorgeous interface for interacting with HTTP. You don't have to use curl. Even Guzzle seems complex compared to the HTTP client, right? Sure. Absolutely. Um, but obviously, SOAP is a, a dying technology. <laughs> we all want to see it die. But sadly, that's not the case because all of basically the insurance world still uses SOAP because they seem to not mm. be able to move forward with time. So. <laughs> So <laughs> if you want to build, it's just, sorry, it's on. like they have a lot of clients and like other things probably depending on it, right? It's just like that. It's that really difficult sort of transition. Um, if you have anything that's being done at scale, you end up having a lot of people who end up depending on those APIs, even if they are old and crusty and whatever, even if they happen to be that, it's it's really difficult to kind of move off those things. So 
you know, you have to hire another team and develop something in parallel to that because the old one's never going to die. Likely, it's how they're making their money, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, I think we are all, you know, interested in moving on. But, you know, sometimes we're just stuck with this old stuff. And in this case, like for me, it's a payment portal, payment provider. And it's like, we're stuck. We're stuck using this thing. They're never going to change it. So it's soap it is, right? Yeah. So uh, so anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so no, no choice on that. Um, and I think the first time we integrated, we decided on using an interface and basically having a soap version and then a version that you would test with because if you've ever tried to write tests for um soap it's basically impossible right uh, mm, <laughs> it's difficult yeah you will almost always call the actual soap client and, and that was really annoying because although the interface thing works you're not actually then testing the integration of the soap implementation it's impossible to test the actual implementation and you end up kind of running around in circles and getting annoyed because you're testing around everything apart from the actual integration. So, you know, we did that and we suffered the the downsides of that as well as project maintenance went on. So the next time it came up for another client, I thought, right, this is this is going to be tackled. Um, and, and I kind of got my head together with Sam, Rod- uh, Sam Rowden, who's uh, another maintainer on that package. And said, "What can we do to to improve this experience?" And this is how we came up with the with the soap package. So, if you actually take a look at it, it very closely resembles the Laravel HTTP client. Uh, that is purposefully modeled on that exact API because it's such a clean API. You're used to working sure with is, it. Yeah. You know how to fake it. You know how to test it. So the idea was, well, if you know how to do that for HTTP, and we wrap soap in the same API, then Soap could be just as easy to write with as uh, as HTTP and REST. So that was the the basic idea, and that's where the the whole thing came from in the first place. Yeah, and so like for those of you who maybe, I mean, it's you never know. Like, there's a large swath of people who maybe have never worked with soap, right? Maybe they don't know anything that we're talking about at all. Like, soap makes no. What what are you talking about? So basically, soap's a an alternative, essentially, I guess, to you know, REST JSON APIs. And and I say alternative, it's maybe not the best way to describe it, but it's XML-based messaging protocol, right? So you have to use XML instead of JSON. You form these XML objects, send them over the wire, and it responds back with XML, right? So if you've ever used XML, you know it can be like really uh, verbose and there's libraries to work with it and all that good stuff. But again, yeah, it can be difficult to test and abstract. And that was the thing that I was really most interested in because we're running into the same problems, which is that we've got interfaces in front of it. But yeah, like if you actually want to test the real thing, it can be it can be really challenging. So what does the library do? You said like it, it fakes everything, right? Like it, it fakes, uh, you, you can just so, say soap fake, I think, right? And then it'll essentially swallow any requests that you send to it. Uh, so it kind of puts that big that big boundary layer between the actual uh, soap uh, interface there, and then just allows you to essentially uh, fake out any requests or responses like that that you want to come back, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, you you would say soap colon colon fake, and very similar to the HTTP client in Laravel. Again, you would pass an array, for example, and the key would be any URL you want to fake in soap because you still use URLs in SOAP, you're pointing to, a, sure. yeah. you're usually pointing to a file which explains how things, are, how the response should be formatted in SOAP. And then with that, you then say, when this URL gets hit, this is the response I want. And the response that you want can be basically just an array. 
and the soap library handles all of the conversion of that back to xml and all of all of that side of things so you don't have to worry about that so the interaction from your app's point of view as long as you've used the soap package is that basically a soap request took place but obviously you've skipped the whole thing and you can manipulate the response and that that's perfect for being able to to write tests and i'm guessing that's also probably how you make your requests with the soap package as well as instead of having to format some big xml document you essentially are just passing a nested array right that's got keys values and so um you know with xml you essentially have that like it's it looks more like html right so each each element has its own name to it and then you close the bracket off and whatever's in between those two, that's the value that you're passing through, right? So it can get really verbose to write all that out. Uh, but with your package, you essentially just say, here's an array. It's going to convert it to XML for you on the fly, send it over the wire. When it comes back as an XML response, you're then going to take that XML response, convert that to a nested array with keys, and then you're going to give that back. So in your in what I'm hearing you say is that when you fake it, you're just saying, uh, I am going to send something to this URL and I expect to get back. And then instead of saying, I expect to get back XML, you're just saying, here's the nested array that I would expect to get back, right? So just assuming that all of the stuff is going to happen in the back end correctly, this is what I expect to get back when I, when I call this endpoint. Yeah, exactly. And, and the main thing is like the SOAP package itself is uh, incredibly well tested. Um, there are a lot of tests backing it up. So we're very confident in... Uh, in the fact that it is doing its job correctly. So you don't have to worry about that. And again, that's the same thing, the same thing with Laravel, right? Um, you, you use parts of the framework and you don't have to test that those things work. You test that what you've added to the framework works. It's the same idea. Sure. Like you shouldn't have to test every time you make a SOAP request. You should just be able to test that your interaction with the SOAP package is correct, that you pass it yeah. a certain response and or pass it a certain request and you receive a certain response. So um, yeah, that just takes away a huge amount of work and uh, like mental load as well when you're working with soap. You don't have to worry about any of those small edge cases or things that you might have to otherwise factor in uh, to your code. You're, you're working with a, a library that's a lot easier to manipulate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm curious if you'd be okay like taking like, um, so the package is great. I'm curious if for those of us who have actually had to work with soap, but haven't made so like I'm talking about me. I shouldn't say everybody else. I'm talking about me. I don't know soap as and all of the different nuances. But since you built the package, I suppose you probably do. So it's probably uh, you know helpful for me to sort of understand lower level like what actually is is occurring in the soap sort of interface way things work. Um, so maybe I can explain sort of what my understanding of it is, and you can say yes, that's correct, or no, here are the pieces that you're missing. <laughs> And, and help me fill that in. Would that be okay with you? I shall certainly attempt. <laughs> um, my confession is that this is, I, I definitely wanted you to have, have you on to talk about the package, but I'm like, I actually need to know a little <laughs> bit more about this whole soap thing too. <laughs> okay. So, so far as I understand it, like you have this endpoint, and then you have like a WSDL, WSDL mm. on the end of this like API.aspx or whatever it is, question mark, WSDL. So, this is really interesting to me, actually. It seems like some of the things that we don't necessarily have solved with like JSON REST endpoints, this was a really good solution back in the day. And and in some senses, is almost better than what we have because this WSDL document explains or documents for you in XML all of the requests and all of the response objects that you would expect to be getting from this 
end point from the stop end point is that a correct understanding yeah absolutely i guess it's okay. kind of like like uh auto documenting in a way which is really right. nice you right. you would see everything that you could possibly do in that one document which is which is pretty right. cool it is i thought that was really neat i'm like oh that's like the, yeah, the documentation is just generated built there it is i can mm. see it i can see all the things okay so then the second portion is when i am when i am sending over and it may be different between the different soap endpoints when i'm sending it over over the line i am just say basically saying like here's a host and that never really changes so far as i i can I understand mm-hmm. it. like you're just saying like here's the location where i'm going to pass and then, uh, you know, with REST stuff, typically you are passing it to a different URL, right? You have a base URL, but then you have things that you're going to tag on to the end of it that are going to say, like, I'm actually interested in knowing about this resource clients and I want to get all of them. And so it's clients index or whatever, right? It's a get request to the clients slash whatever. Or I want to update it. So it's going to be, you know, a patch request to clients de- slash one, right? So that's the ID of the resource I'm interacting with. Mm-hmm. With SOAP, it seems like it's a little bit different. It seems like it's actually in the request itself where you're naming what the... You have the SOAP envelope almost. And then inside of that is you're naming the request that you're wanting to make. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're, if you're actually interacting with the base SOAP client that PHP provides, uh-huh. um, you would actually pass them. So you have your client object and then you pass the method that you want to interact with from the soap file right so where we would say in rest forward slash users forward slash id you would make a request to the user's method which is contained inside that uh, that soap file that you originally make mm-hmm. a request to and then as one of the parameters you'd say and this is the idea of the, the user i want to fetch and obviously you, you you've got to try and in your mind switch that over to how that would be laid out in xml because that's what's happening in reality you're you're trying to send this over xml so the entire thing would need to be displayed in essentially what would look like html at the end of the day right uh, exactly yeah yeah so you're saying like this is this is the piece of that that uh, that declaration file that i want to access this is the method that i'm interested in you've said here are the required parameters that i have to pass over if i want to make this request so here they are and here's what i'm saying so in that way it's very much like rest but like I say, REST doesn't define parameters. The only way you define parameters in REST is through documentation, right? Documentation, right. Exactly. Um, so SOAP has its own documentation, which is really good because often uh, people who are creating SOAP APIs to consume don't give you very good documentation. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's it's uh, a godsend that it's there if you know where to look, right? You can go find that SOAP file and then, and then there it is. Okay. Yep. So interesting. So then, okay, on the way back then, so it sends its request and then on its way back, it's going to return back to you a response, which is also in that original SOAP file. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, and then sort of like in the PHP client, there's this idea of class maps. Have you interacted with that and done any of that at all? I don't think that I've necessarily done that. Okay. To, uh, to the point, I just know that SOAP will the SOAP client that PHP provides will give you a reasonable response back. So it does already handle for you a lot of the um, nuances of having to work with XML on the way back. So it will give you like an array rather than you having to deal with 
uh, an XML yeah, string to pass. Get a big string. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I was curious about the class map stuff because so I, I basically it was a couple of years ago. I said to one of my other developers, I was like, hey, man, can you can you just handle this this whole soap thing? Like, just let me know when it's done. <laughs> like, just and he's he's a really smart guy. Like, sure. He'll, he handled it. And so um, I, you know, he has since uh, moved moved on, which is great. And it's fine. And all that's good. But now I'm having to go back in and sort of like figure out what in the world he was doing. So there was just this idea of this or, or there was this key called class map. And it was basically these objects. Uh, that he these classes he created that I it felt like like soap was auto mapping back to those which was mm. interesting, yeah. So any case, that's sort of like a quick overview of of soap and and how that works in PHP. So with that in mind, then yeah, I mean the rest of it is basically your library abstracts a lot of that and puts it into a API that we're all really familiar with. Um, so my next sort of question is how you went about structuring your code in order to be able to test that stuff really well. And this is sort of a more general question across uh, how you test and how you handle dealing with APIs inside of your code. So why don't you start and I'll tell you, you know, I want to hear how you're, how you guys go about it. And then I'll tell you kind of how we do it and, and maybe some differences and we can talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So with this particular package, we wanted to write, we always try and write tests first. I've tried to do that ever since I kind of started learning to write tests. So mm -hmm. um, I tend to write my tests as I go. And when it comes to integrations, like with a SOAP client, you need to make sure the actual SOAP client works <laughs> in the first right. place. Exactly. And, and building a package, yep. it better work. So what I actually did is um, I found a sample uh, SOAP API online that was just free to interact with. And uh, I do believe all it does is add numbers up so you would pass it two and four and it would it would return six um it was sure. very basic but it obviously showed it worked so i built all of my tests to actually make that api work and i didn't worry about faking the requests because at that time it wasn't important i was trying to build an api that worked so if I'm doing that and I'm inside a package scope, I will almost always just go for it, make it actually make a request to an API in a real endpoint. And then once mm -hmm. I'm confident that I've got all of the functionality in and it actually works with a real API, then soon as I'm building fake, uh, faking functionality into the library itself, that becomes the perfect test because then all of a sudden you're going to have to fake all of these real API calls and yep. you'll see very quickly that, oh, well, the faking works really well because all of these API calls that were making real requests now make fake requests. Sure. So in, in terms of this package itself, that was really quite a nice experience because you you were making a, a very real call and then over the length of building this package, it became a fake call and that defined the own its own API. So you were building and iterating on how the package worked internally as you went and the tests were perfect for that. But that's awesome to come out at like a further degree once we'd built the package and we wanted to use it for testing. That's kind of another story, right? Because at this point you're in an application and let's say you're dealing with uh, like a travel insurance API. You don't want to actually make a real travel insurance booking because then you've got to go through right. customer service so you can cancel it and all the rest of it. You, you don't want to be doing exactly. that when you're just try, sure. trying to develop. So usually um, I would just make sure everything's fake, make sure nothing can actually get out there um, and cause any problems. And once I've done that, retrieve a sample response from yeah. the documentation. 
or if they don't have documentation, you're going to have to try and make a real response um, in, in the web browser by actually writing real code or, or even by writing a test that doesn't fake anything. And once you've got that, the first time you get that, capture it, put it in a fixture file, and then mm-hmm. obviously you've got your fake that you can use. And from there on, you can build and iterate on that, that single fixture file. And that's how I do it for SOAP. That's how I do it for uh, REST APIs with the HTTP client. That's how I do it for GraphQL APIs. So it's the exact same thing. First of all, get a real response. Once you're happy with the real response, capture it, place it in a file somewhere, and then create a little bit of um, perhaps boilerplate that would allow you to manipulate that file however you want to add very specific data in for different tests. And once you're there, you've, you've, you've basically got the entire thing uh, kind of up and running. You don't have to make real requests to the API anymore, but it's incredibly easy if you want to just check that things work just to disable the faking and make a real request, make sure perhaps if a major version of the API gets released, that things do actually work with it again uh, before releasing, uh, obviously, a new version to the to the client or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so, I, I number one, I'm so relieved to hear you say that. I just needed that validation because <laughs> that's how I do it most of the time. So that's why I didn't want to say it first and be like, influence any of what... I just wanted to hear how you do it. So that's how we do it, which is good. And so same thing, same thing. We just capture the fixtures and then you, you know, use those as sort of like your, your location where you're going to do all your, you know, this is what it typically looks like as a response. And so when I say soap fake, I say it should make this request with these parameters, right? So you can actually say like, this is the, how, the, how it should look. Um, and then my response is just load up the fixture and, and chuck it in there as a response, right? So that's, that's cool. Um, I guess the only thing that you run the risk of in that case is like you said, like if the API does change out from under you, oops, on accident, right? Um, you're never going to know that. Although I suppose if that did happen, unless you're somehow running your automated tests every day, just in the background, which you can do. I mean, like you could trigger a GitHub action to go run once a day and, and just make sure that the uh, API is consistent, but you're probably going to find out much faster from your error monitoring service, right? Yeah. Your error monitoring service is going to be like blowing up, like something changed here. I don't know what's going on. So that's the only real rescue run from, I guess, not having this like this integration test that's actually hitting the real endpoint every time you say, you know, run all my tests, which, you know, like you said, could get really cumbersome if you're having to go in and cancel or undo all those every time. Um, I mean, one thing um, like I have done before is, which worked really well, actually, um, is if you really need to make sure it works. And I know for one particular client, the API was incredibly flaky. The API we were consuming was incredibly flaky and we couldn't really rely on it from one day to the next. So what we would do is we would fake 99% of the time, mm-hmm. ah. but then we would have a, an environment variable which we could change in GitHub CI, for example. And if that environment variable was set, the faking would just be turned off in the tests. So it would no longer fake. You would get It would hit a real API, but that's better that it gives you the validation that everything still works. And that would just run once a day, once a week. Can't, can't remember exactly the frequency, but it would basically run just enough to make sure we were happy that everything was still working. Every yep. other time that it ran, it would fake everything. So uh, that was a really good way for us to kind of have that peace of mind, not have to wait for yeah. the customers to find out, but at the same time, not be hitting a real API all the time, um, which, which obviously sure. you want to avoid, particularly when you're working locally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
That's an interesting way to do it. You know, and it depends too, like depending on the thing that's, uh, that you're interacting with, um, you know, if we're using like rest and stuff like that, uh, a lot of these more modern APIs have sandboxes, mm-hmm. you know, you have like a developer sort of friendly, Hey, you could just change your API keys. And, you know, I think of like Stripe is what I think of. And a lot of times in my tests, I actually, like if I'm using Stripe, I'll just, I'll hook up to the sandbox and I'll actually hit the real thing because it doesn't matter. You know, it's not a, not a big deal to kind of, it, it's all in the test sandbox. Who cares? It's, it's out there, but it doesn't make any difference. But that gives me a lot of confidence feeling like, oh, it's actually working. So I suppose if you have a SOAP client uh, or a SOAP endpoint that you're hitting that allows you to provide credentials for, hey, you're just, you know, you're going to a sandbox. Um, you could run those every time if you cared to, just to make sure that everything continues to work and that that's fine. The other question that I have then is, so that works when you're testing and you're just saying, hey, I'm going to fake this stuff. I'm testing it out. No problem. Don't actually hit the real thing. When you're testing locally, like if you're going through like a QA team is going through and testing to be like, hey, is this all working? I'm going to go through this payment flow. Yeah, it works. What are you using to fake in those instances? I'm curious what your architecture looks like for that. Yeah, so this very much depends. Um, If it was real, and it was QA testing, and it was before it was deployed live, we would almost always try and make sure that was hitting the, a real API. Um, even yeah. if it was a sandbox version or a, a developer version, make sure the actual requests are being made. But I, I know that for a lot of client demos where we needed it to return very specific things at very specific times, um, we mm-hmm. kind of Steve Jobs did with the first iPhone, and you would you, <laughs> because you've got the power of of soap fake. You basically would go into the controllers, or maybe into an event that Laravel would fire based on a controller action being taken, and we would just insert a little soap fake in there just so it returned the exact information at the right time. Sure. So yeah, I would I I always try to make sure if it's QA testing that I am actually doing everything the customer would be doing as much as possible. So removing yeah. fakes, I personally feel is, is the best way to, to do that. But certainly for, for a lot of client demos, we soap fakes. And you can just play, you can place a soap fake anywhere, right? You don't have to place soap fake in tests. I wouldn't recommend placing soap fake in production code and then shipping it. But you, you can place yeah. those calls to fake anywhere. So there's nothing yeah. stopping you from, from doing that for, for demos, um, much like you might use a, a database seeder for a demo. Um, it, it can yes, kind of work exactly. in the same way. Yeah. I ask because in some of our in some of our implementations for like not soap necessarily, but just our APIs, we have applications that are really, really heavily dependent on an API. Like it won't work unless the like literally the front page you load up will not work unless that API is working. Mm. And so in those instances, what we've had to do is you can't really relegate it to like a, oh, I mean, if we have to do that thing, we will. But like when I'm testing locally, like when I'm just checking to see that my code is working locally. I have to be able to call this API, right? And have a have a good way to do that. What we've done with that is like Adam Wathen had a course on back a long, long time ago, testing Laravel. And he was doing like a Stripe integration. And so what he had is he had like a Stripe gateway. And that was his interface, right? And um, then in his uh, service provider, so his Stripe service provider, he would have a... Like a, H- like a Stripe HTTP gateway and then a Stripe fake gateway. And so what he would do is if he was in production, he would bind to the Stripe HTTP gateway and then all the calls are real. It's all going out to the real thing. Mm-hmm. But in his local, he would do a Stripe fake gateway. 
And then inside there, he would basically just place his soap fake calls, essentially. You know what I mean? Where he's saying, and, and at that point, really, you don't even have to have a soap fake. You mm-hmm. could literally just return an object or return an array straight from that, that uh, thing. So then whenever you're, whenever you're calling this, like in local development, I'm just binding to that fake. And then whenever I call that, it's just returning me those fake responses, right? And then I sort of have almost like my local, my own little local documentation, tricks, whatever, where it's like, if I pass in 333, that's going to give me this sort of response. And if Mm -hmm. I pass in 111, that's going to be this sort of response, you know, sort of like with um, the Stripe has like these different um, credit card numbers, like 42424242242. That one's like thumbs up, you got a good visa, right? Yeah. And 41 maybe is like, oh, that's a bad CVV or whatever. And so you have that sort of uh, ability to test these different error states or these different error responses and, and be able to do that. So that's sort of a, a pattern that we've developed uh, to be able to locally hit something and not have it be hitting production mm. or have to put like a temporary soap fake. It's like a semi-permanent, it's like a fixture inside of the application that I that I can use when I'm actually running uh, locally. Yeah. So that's been interesting. I, re- I really like that approach. And uh, I know before I've done something sim- similar, like a slight level back where I would have a local service provider that basically does mm. nothing if it's not in a local environment. And then obviously ah, okay. you can call whatever you want in the boot method, right? So if I didn't sure. want to have to create two separate implementations for an interface, I would just put my soap fake calls in the boot of the local service provider. And, and oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, there you go. You know, you, know, you, can, you can put whatever ah, you want in that. Genius. Um, oh, I see. That's yeah. pretty cool. So I, I, it depends on, the, on how complex the interface is that you're working with. But I know that sometimes you have to have these like an interface that has four or five methods on and you just can't be bothered to create a second interface to work along with right. and, and sure. ca- have to keep in tune. But then obviously you can just, you can just stick the soap fake stuff in the, in this local service provider instead and you're off to the races. Yeah. And that is sort of, that is the difficulty is when your fake falls out of sync with production. Cause like, you know, as a local developer team, whatever, you're kind of constantly tweaking things a little bit, but if somebody accidentally <laughs> modifies something in the fake, that gets out of sync with like the production thing. It's like, Oh no. I, I mean, I guess that's the same situation you'd end up with if somebody was like, you know, snapshotting a response and t- sticking it in a fixture, you have the same problem, but it's just happening a little bit more frequently. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that portion. The, the other, so before we had something like soap fake though what we would do is in our tests we would bind to that same fake interface mm-hmm. and we would just now the only problem i had with that is that there is no there's no the, the information about what's going to be returned isn't in the test anywhere it's all in the fixture it's invisible it's completely invisible that you're that you're faking anything right yeah um so for me it's like there's a couple there's a couple layers where where i would use this in the tests, I would almost always end up using something like, in, in the case of what we're talking about, I would use that soap fake because I can see here's the endpoint I'm expecting to hit and here's the response I'm expecting to get. And then here's the rest of the test about my assertions for how that should be handled. Uh, whereas if you're just binding to a fake gateway, you have no clue that that's happening. It's just happening in a service provider and it's behind the scenes and you're just calling this thing. And any developer who's looking at it from the future forward has no clue that that's happening. It's just assumed that it's happening. So it's it's sort of odd in that way. But I don't don't know whether you ever 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 had that thing as well where the good architecture pattern ends ends up being the thing that is so difficult to maintain <laughs> down the line because you have yeah. 30 interfaces and <laughs> 60 mm. implementations and it, it just yeah. becomes a pain, especially when you bring in, say, a junior dev on who isn't 
perhaps as familiar with solid principles and you're like, oh no, you're in the wrong interface there. You need to go like four layers deeper to get to the one that just <laughs> deals with soap. And they start crying. And I've had that so many times. <laughs> and it was so nice. Like when I first started using the HTTP client that you saw exactly what was going on. It was one layer deep because as soon as you were in the class, you started seeing the HTTP calls and all of the faking yep. was going on inside there rather than having to have two completely separate contracts that could still be doing other logic besides just making soap requests right oh yeah that's it that's where it gets dangerous too yeah, yeah. so because it's like because it, it falls out of sync you know with like what's reality you know yeah uh, if it's this thing then modify the payload in this way and then it's like yeah you, you get out of sync real quick <laughs> and you can have some some problems so anyway yeah okay very cool well i'm i'm really glad to hear that i think our approaches are more similar than they are different I figured since you had been, you know, since you had made this package and made this library and having to interface with some of these more archaic APIs, we'll say that you had dealt with some of the same headaches that I had. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that is in fact true <laughs> and that we've in some ways sort of arrived at the same solutions. So I'll tell you, I, I've been like looking at this package and then looking back at our code base and I can't wait until I can get a little bit of time to switch it out because it's going to make my life so much easier because that exact situation you're talking about where it's like the architecture pattern becomes the problem. That's, that's where we're at right now. It is insanely difficult. There are so many layers to this thing just to get the, the, the deal nude up. Right. And then there are fakes in front of it on sometimes. So it's like, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have this, like, we had like, okay, you'd have to new up the soap thing, but then there was like this verbose logger that you would t- wrap around it sometimes too. So you could see if you were in local and you'd sometimes you'd use that to test other times. It was a mess. I feel anyway. you. I feel you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, well, if any of you out there have to deal with soap on a regular basis, you should definitely check out this library. It is going to feel so much more Laravel-y than, uh, you know, wrapping up your own uh, soap PHP implementation and trying to figure that that bad boy out. Plus, it's tested. It's got all the tests. You heard it from Luke himself. And so definitely check this one out. It's, uh, it's gonna be pretty great. I can't wait to use it. The other item I was going to say is like, when we looked at Saloon, Saloon is good too. But it's not it's not soap ish. You know, what I mean, like, there are just some really nuanced, weird things that you have to do with soap that you just you, you can't do with something that's made for interacting with REST APIs. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Saloon and like, okay, I can pass an XML body if I want to, and that's great. But it's expecting you to use something other than the base URL to go hit this endpoint, right? It has like, here's the base URL, and then what's the actual thing that you're going to call and what verb are you going to use to get there? And it's like, mm, that's not like that's it's just different. It's a different sort of idea. Um, soap is than, than how you typically interact. Soap. Very unique beast. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it really is. is. Um, but it also is, I think, I don't know, like we have this junior dev and sometimes he, he'll ask me these, these, so it's, uh, his name is Luke as well. Luke Bouch. Um, good dude. But he, uh, the hashtag is like, you know, real world, like real world, pro- real, real world problems, real world, world programming. It's like you, there are just some times where you have to deal with these really annoying, weird things that when you're just doing like a CRUD app and you control all the input, you don't have to handle any of that mess, right? Like we have APIs that return, uh, you know, a date most of the time, but sometimes it'll be instead of dashes, it's slashes, or sometimes it's both. One of them has a slash, one of them has dash. (laughs) And it's like, you have to just handle all these crazy edge cases. And I feel like for soap, that's what it's been too. It's just like real world problems. Like you got to deal with this thing. It's how we make money. It's it's just something you got to deal with. But 
but I'm glad that you made this library to make uh, interacting with it a little bit easier. So yeah, and awesome. Uh, we definitely like have seen the benefits as well. Like I know I'm still very much in touch with Sam and and uh, uh, Richard who owns Ricorux, and uh, yeah, they are using it all the time, and it saves so many headaches. So it's it's still very much in use for the company it was built for, and it's uh, it's certainly done its job. So hopefully it can it can do the job for plenty of other people who have the the nightmare of interacting with SOAP protocols. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because like I don't think there will be a lot of people who will need to hear these things, but for the few people that do, they're going to be eternally grateful <laughs> that they were able to tune in, hear this, and and uh, hear about this library. So Luke, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with me today about uh, SOAP and your SOAP package. Is there anything you'd like to uh, shout out? How can people like follow you? What do you, what do you got going on? Anything that um, you're selling? Anything like that? I, I don't tend to sell that much. Um, I, I, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Downing nineteen, which I'm always grateful for people following on Twitter. Uh, I've recently released a Laracast course on testing, so if you're more into testing, that was quite cool. Go and check that out, and it's completely free, so you don't even need to be subscribed to Laracasts. So that'd be quite cool. Nice. And um, yeah, I'm working on quite a cool um, little project at the moment using Aaron Francis's sidecar package. Oh yeah. Um, which will basically allow you to use the PEST testing library in the browser. So yeah, if you can follow me on Twitter, you'll you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah, lots of cool things on the horizon. But yeah, probably all started with the soap package a couple of years ago. Dude, that that PEST one is really cool. That PEST from scratch, Laracast thing. That's awesome. That's like a huge accomplishment that you got to like, I mean, Laracast is like, is, you know, every Laravel, every Laravel developer starts at Laracast, right? I feel like we yeah. all have our uh, origins there following Jeffrey and hearing all the amazing things. Dude, like I was following Jeffrey, I don't know, long time ago when he was like at Envato. I don't know if you were like, you know, I don't know when you got into web development. I'm aging myself a little bit, but like <laughs> I learned jQuery from Jeffrey Way back in the day, you know, before he ever started Laracast. Like Jeffrey <laughs> Way was still an amazing teacher, like when I was, you know, 18. So, I don't know. Yeah, he's he's, he he's prolific. He's he, pretty amazing. He doesn't seem to age. He just goes on. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he's looking great. If you saw that, uh, if you saw that Laravel, like, um, you know, uh, document uh, documentary, the sort of thing, he looks younger than he did the last time I saw him at Laracon. I mean, like, he literally seems like a baby. I don't know. It's awesome. Good for him. Well, it sounds like everything's going well for Laracast too. I listen to the Laracast snippet all the time, and and uh, yeah, dude's just a uh, he's a beast. Goat, Jimmy Goat. Or Jeffrey Goat. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, that wraps it up for us. Episode 126. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 126. Follow Luke at LukeDowning19 or myself at Jacob Bennett on Twitter. And if you have questions, feel free to hit us up on there. Till next time, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye.